When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So what you're about to hear is a interview that I did a couple days ago over on the YouTube channel, Reluctant Prepper. So I hope you enjoy this interview. These types of interviews that I do on other channels, I don't do very often, but I'd like that to change in the future. I'd love to be on channels like the SGT Report or X22 Report, or of course, Reluctant Preppers, Crush the Street. There's a ton of great channels out there that I love to appear on, and a lot of it is up to you. I'm not going to go out and ask these guys, hey, can I come on? No, it's up to you guys to recommend me. Say, hey, check out this guy. He knows what he's talking about. We like his work. That's how Reluctant Preppers found out about me in the first place. Somebody recommended me to them. So um, I really need your guys' help here if you want to see more of this stuff. But uh, without further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview. Welcome back to Life and Preppers. Today is Monday, August 20th, 2018. We have a first-time guest today. Matt from Silver Fortune is here with us today. He was requested by one of our subscribers, and we had the good fortune of getting him to come on the channel. Matt, thank you for joining us here on Reluctant Preppers. Thank you. It's my pleasure to to come on for this interview. Could you give our guests a, excuse me, can you give our subscribers a brief understanding of your background and how you got so involved in starting your Silver Fortune channel? Yeah, absolutely. You know, without giving a a big, long background as to how I got into precious metals and all of that, um, because it is a long story, you know, I I wish I could say I have have the same pedigree of of maybe some of your other guests here, uh, former traders, uh, uh, people that that work professionally in in the precious metal sector, Um, but I don't. I'm just kind of an average guy that that has a passion for this and and I think has a you know a fair understanding and knowledge of all this. You know, um, I got into precious metals a couple of years ago, um, and 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 pretty soon thereafter, I I decided I want to start a YouTube channel on this. At the beginning, it was just a very casual thing for me. Um, I I just wanted to talk about it. It's something I was passionate about. But you know, over the years, um, I I have have always strived to to learn more and more about it. And I think that that in some ways, um, I think a lot of my viewers and subscribers uh, find you know my voice to, to be refreshing because it's it's different. It, it's it's not somebody that is and not to discount the the experts quote unquote experts opinions, but I, I'm not necessarily paid for or bought for by by any large firms, banks, or anything like that. So um, you don't have to worry about that. And also, I I, I do have a habit of of breaking down things in layman terms, trying to explain things to people. Um, using using very simple analogies and i think a lot of my viewers enjoy that so you know really my, my price my, my path into precious metals um you know originally maybe it's began with with uh kind of prepping and and then moved into to some interest in in politics um and and then kind of from there just just i, I kind of was I, I woke up to this world of, of economics and how important economics are and and once i began to study uh, how how the world economies worked and, and how the markets work. Um, precious metals just seem like a no-brainer to me, and, and it continues to be the case today. You, you see a world filled with with bubbles. You see a world filled with with paper assets and, and and digital assets more and more every day. And something physical like silver and gold, uh, they just make sense to me. 
And and so I guess that's why I continue to be so passionate about it and why I continue to uh, you know talk about it so often on my channel. Well, you were recommended, as I mentioned, by one of our subscribers, and we had about uh, three different questions we really wanted to zero in with you on today about silver specifically. Um, the first one has been smoldering around for some time. Um, we had David Morgan on about a month ago talking about uh, the um, big market action that's been happening on silver. Everybody's familiar, I think, who's been paying attention to it. Silver ran up to a big spike in 1980 and again in 2011 and has been in um, arguably uh, kind of a uh, holdover from, from its 2011 high. Uh, David Morgan had, had uh, stated about a year and a half ago that he thought the bottom was in in the silver market and that he pointed out that from a technical trading standpoint, uh, there's been this flag formation where the the peaks and valleys between the highs and the lows of the silver spot price have been getting uh, narrower and narrower and narrower and compressed. The range between the lows and the highs is becoming narrower and narrower over a two-year period. If you look at a two-year chart, it looks like a, a pennant flag, you know, pointing uh, wide on the left and then pointing down to a narrow point. And it, it was going to come to a crisis right about now. And just last week when we had the Turkish uh, turmoil in, in Turkey with the, the government and the debt and, and everything and the, and the Turkish uh, currency all kind of collapsing and, and uh, being stressed together, we saw silver drop uh, significantly below sort of the center line of that flag formation. And some people were saying it could go either way, but it just can't keep, you know, when, when the tip of the flag comes, you got to, something has to happen. It's got to break one way or the other. Um, in your uh, view and with those that you've talked with is the breakdown in silver uh, from the uh, technical flag formation uh, significant and do you and is it do you think it's most likely that it's the beginning of a major uh, down leg in silver prices and if so how low can we realistically go before we hit much more solid uh, support level yeah that's that, that, a lot to cover there so so I'm not a huge technical guy technicals guy. I, I don't, you know, I, I pay attention to the charts, but I don't, these, these pennant flags, everything that you're talking about, I don't follow them a ton. But the one that you are referring to, this this trading range, you know, this is something I covered extensively uh, this this past spring because it had held to be true for, for so long that it was trading in this range, a tighter and tighter range. And I said, you know, back then uh, at the time, it, it was around between 16 and $17 that Silver's got to do something. This this suppressed volatility, and, and remember that term because we might come back to it later on this mm -hmm. in this interview. Uh, suppressed volatility, it, it can't continue forever, and and eventually it's going to break out one way or another. It 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 kind of did a head fake up above seventeen dollars, came mm -hmm. back into the range, and of course we know the source since then that it's it's gone below sixteen and now below uh, fifteen dollars. So, um, where is it heading next? You know. As, as much as that technical chart was important for, for you know, as soon as it broke uh, upwards or downwards, there's going to be a significant move in, in one direction or the other. I, I don't think this is a technical move in the market. Uh, over the last couple of months, and I've talked about this extensively again on my channel, the price of silver and even more so the price of gold over the last three, four months has had a very tight correlation with not just the dollar index, but more specifically the the exchange rate between the Chinese yuan and the U.S. dollar, meaning that as the Chinese yuan has gotten weaker, 
and the dollar's gotten stronger relative to the yuan. Uh, silver and gold have gone down. It's almost a mirror image of these two. It's a very tight correlation. Now, this has happened in the past. It's happened with with a with a Japanese yen. You know, it's happened for periods of time with with the euro. Of course, this time around, um, it, it has lasted a very long time. In my opinion, it doesn't mean I don't think that China has has pegged their currency to the yuan. But there is a tight correlation for whatever reason. It could be China. It could be the U.S. It could just be traders wanting to find some more sort of correlation. So that's important because, you know, the Chinese yuan has undergone a, a massive devaluation thus far in 2018. Um, you know, not as extreme as other currencies, but you have to consider the size of their economy, size of their, their currency, a huge devaluation, even larger than the one back in 2015, 2016. Now, where it stands right now, I don't know the exact exchange rate, but, but just shy of a key resistance level or support level for the yuan of seven to one. That, that was kind of the, the, the line that it, it, it refused to cross or, or more accurately, the People's Bank of China, the Chinese government refused to let it cross back, I think it was uh, end of 2016, um, yeah, at the end of its, uh, its kind of bear market back then. That's seven to one. So it's just shy of that, okay? Um, and, and, you know, so you have to ask yourself, you know, if, if silver were to drop much, much lower and gold lower, let's say silver heads to, to $12, but below okay. the cost of production, are a lot of, of mines, say it heads to $10, $9, you know, if this correlation holds true over the next six months, 12 months, and it doesn't have to be a perfect correlation, but, but a general correlation of the yuan growing weaker and weaker, um, <laughs> there, there's gonna be a lot of fireworks going off all around the world. Um, and, and this is bigger than just the yuan, I should add. You know, the, the U.S. dollar strength is, has been talked about a lot thus far in, 18, in 2018. Relative strength, you know, I, I'm no fan of, of the dollar or fiat currencies. But, you know, relative to, to the yen, the euro, uh, the, the pound, um, some of these bigger currencies, sure, it's, it's had a lot of strength. If you throw the yuan in there as well, had even more strength. But if you throw emerging markets in there, um, I'm talking Brazil, Argentina, Turkey. Those are some of the big South Africa. Those are the big ones that have been in the news lately. Um, if silver is going to head to to twelve dollars to ten dollars, we're talking about the Chinese yuan not breaking through seven to one, but like eight to one. Okay, mm -hmm. we're talking about the Brazilian real dropping another ten percent, another twenty percent. Same thing goes for the lira, the Argentine peso, the South African rand. So it's possible, you know, this emerging market crisis uh, that that I've talked about on my channel. Is, is a real thing and, and the possibility of it um, becoming a, a contagion event, at least contained to, to emerging markets is a very real threat. But so, you know, I guess what I'm saying here is that yes, it can drop lower to 10 to 12, whatever, much lower than where it is right now. But if it happens, the, the world economy is, is going to be teetering on the brink because, uh, you know, I've, 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 I've been holding the view for quite some time now that the U.S. economy is, is not immune to what's going on around the world in these emerging markets, emerging markets, and especially what's happening in China. You know, for the last hundred years, the U.S. for the most part hasn't really imported a a recession or a depression from abroad. Um, I think you know, with this current crisis, with the current downturn in the Chinese economy and their currency, ongoing trade wars. I, I think it's a it's a good chance that this next recession, this next depression in the United States could. Um, be, be imported from abroad from emerging markets just because the U.S. economy plays a, a smaller role in today's age. So, yes, silver and gold can head lower. You have to understand that that it means that the dollar is going to be much stronger. And more importantly, a lot of these other currencies can be much, much weaker along with, with their economies, their stock markets, etc. And eventually, 
that the United States, they're going to catch that cold as well. They're going to catch that contagion. And, and of course, the next step from there is, you know, you, you can you can pick an event, a financial crisis, a debt crisis, a large defaults uh, from financial institutions, you name it. But eventually mm -hmm. the, the, the next step is going to be a weaker dollar. A, a, the Federal Reserve stepping in like they did in 2008, 2009 with quantitative easing, the U.S. government stepping in with with uh, with bailouts, uh, helicopter money. I wouldn't be surprised if, if that gets thrown around. Um, and, and of course, the end result of that is going to be a weaker dollar and, and more inflation. So, you know, I, I guess personally, this this ongoing decline, I, I'm not the type to, to say I'm not going to buy until it gets to, to, to 13 or 12 or something like that. I think that's a risky play for me personally. Your viewers, my viewers can make their own decisions. But um, I, I see this as a buying opportunity because I know that the end game here is going to be a weaker dollar, more inflation. And, and, and the, the big theme here is not just a weaker dollar, but really weaker currencies all around. So, so that's kind of how I would answer that question as to, to where I see silver um, heading in, in the future. I want to follow up on one of the points that you made along the way about uh, setbacks in, for example, the Chinese economy and then uh, the, those uh, effects coming, you mentioned in, in other emerging economies, um, coming back to our shores. Uh, there's been some debate about the, whether the recent drop in several metals prices, silver being the most recent of them, but also copper and also platinum, uh, really reflect reduced industrial demand given uh, various aspects of what you could call a global recession or at least reduced global industrial demand for certain metals uh, for various reasons, including sometimes material substitutions in some industries where we're, we're seeing some uh, solar manufacturers coming out with uh, silver-free uh, solar panels, for example, and that was always cited as one of the, the industries of the future that was going to be needing um, silver. But also, like electric cars, electric vehicles are rampantly on the increase, and that is spelling a decrease in catalytic converters and therefore platinum demand. Um, and just yesterday, I was seeing articles about uh, copper hitting hitting uh, big lows here, and and people surmising that that might be related to uh, industrial uh, basically uh, slowdowns uh, all over the world. Uh, what is your view on whether the the drops in some of these metal prices is actually reflecting? Um, kind of like telling the, telling us the truth about a global recession in the making. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's a case that they, they call copper, you know, Dr. Copper, because of its prediction of, of weakening economic growth. You know, same goes for platinum. Um, now, silver, at least over the last five years, hasn't had a huge decline. I think its peak was in 2011, at least in the last five or 10 years. 2011 was, I think, the peak uh, for, for silver industrial demand. It's come down a bit, but I think it's up in 2017 from where it was in 2016. But you know, this, this recent price action, I don't see it as a, as so much a, a result of, of decreased, um, industrial demand as much as I see it, or sorry, decreased industrial demand, but as much as I see it as a result of, of a couple different factors, you know, a, a rise in dollar, which I already discussed, falling foreign currencies, uh, manipulation, that, that always gets kind of called in there as, as, as a potential cause, and, and I would agree that that plays a role. Um, but also falling investment demand, um, especially in the West, uh, United States, Europe, we, we just don't buy as much silver, silver coins, silver bars. You look at the U.S. mint numbers, uh, 2018, even 2017 was just kind of a, a pitiful year compared to, to, to the five years previous to that. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's kind of slow down with their buying countries like India 
um, Indians are, are are stacking a ton of silver right now. I mean, sure, they, they import they they import almost all their silver that they use, and and a lot of it does get used in, in industrial uses. But but as much as the Chinese are, are gold bugs and, and stacking gold, I mean, the, the Indians stack a ton of silver coins and bars, hmm. Um, hmm. and 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 you know on pace, you know, as of April, uh, we'll probably get more data from this soon. This was reported by a uh, Lewis from from Smell Gold. Um, the the Indian uh, imports they're they're on pace for I think a record year this year and so there is demand out there you know this this price decline I don't see it as so much of a a, a lack of demand um, again I think it's related to some of those other factors now you did you did bring up something really interesting then there though talking about other metals uh, th this is something that I've heard talked about by by a couple different people uh, David Morgan um, I think Steve San Angelo some others. Um, and, and it's something I've kind of uh, talked about quite a bit on my channel as well. You know, there is this notion that if there were to be some sort of, of an economic crisis or even just a, a global recession, global depression, let's say GDP worldwide slows down by, by 2%, 2% contraction, 5%, 10%, whatever the number is, um, a lot of people will say that, that silver is not a good hedge for that because a lot of... Of, of the demand for silver is industrial. So if you have the economy slowing down, people are buying fewer cars, they are, are, are making fewer investments into maybe solar panels on their roofs, they're buying fewer fewer iPhones, et cetera, et cetera. Um, however, you have to look at the supply side of things for silver as well. Um, yes, I think industrial demand could slow down. I, I also happen to think that in, uh, investment demand would, would increase rapidly just like it did back following the the, the great recession a, a huge increase in investment demand however the supply side for silver also makes for a bullish argument as well because something like upwards of, of i think it's 60 or 70 percent of of silver supply coming onto the market from mines is mined as a byproduct okay and, and mm -hmm. these 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 silver mines silver miners um these byproduct miners it primarily comes from four different types of, of mines. Uh, you have gold mines, which I, I think maybe 10, 15%. I don't have the exact statistics. But then the rest come from what you'd consider uh, base metals or, or, or metals that, that almost solely drive their demand from economic growth. Zinc, um, zinc, copper, and lead. Those are the big three. And so what this means is that if we have a major economic contraction, whether it's a full-blown collapse or just a... Uh, I guess, depression, you know, more run-of-the-mill, something like we had back in 2008, um, you're going to see in, uh, industrial demand, overall demand, drastically decline for these for these metals like copper, zinc, and lead. And so what happens when you have a decreased uh, demand? You're likely going to have lower prices. With lower prices comes mines uh, eventually, um, maybe it'll take three months, six months, but eventually slowing down or, or completely um, ceasing production of, of these metals because they'll no longer be, be economic. Maybe some of them will fold because they already had a lot of debt and, and there's going to be a lot of, of deleveraging in, in such a period of time. And so all of a sudden, um, silver, which you know previously had something like 70% of its supply coming from these byproduct mines, um, that, that supply could be cut by, by 10%, 20%, 30%. All of a sudden, you have um, a, a very different story heading into this. Sure, industrial demand's coming down. But so is supply, right? And investment demand could be heading up much, much higher. Uh, you know, in, in investment demand could be what's you know driving the market. So you know, 
I just thought I'd bring that up because you brought up some of these other metals as well, platinum, sure. copper, um, and, and you know, base metals. Those, for the most part, uh, I, I, there's not a whole lot of people that, that invest a ton into copper bullion. Maybe they trade uh, futures contracts or paper contracts. Uh, platinum, maybe a little bit more investment fan, but for the most, for the most part, they're industrial metals. Um, and, and, and I think silver, yeah, it's an industrial metal. It's kind of a bipolar metal. You have that monetary and investment demand. But, but I think in the next recession, um, it's, I think the supply and demand fundamentals for silver are actually a lot more bullish than, than maybe conventional knowledge would, uh, would suggest. There's another great debate raging around the topic of J.P. Morgan's role uh, in suppressing, potentially suppressing silver spot prices through uh, selling of paper future contracts um, or whether they are positioning themselves uh, following their, their uh, if they've been doing that uh, paper short selling to take up a huge negative position on, or, you know, a short position on, on silver, whether that now has rotated around, whether they've offloaded that negative short position. And that's one thing Ted Butler was claiming was that, that J.P. Morgan now for the first time in modern history is now aligned with to benefit from a rise in, in silver prices going forward and that that shifts the game because they've often been assigned the blame of being the ones to quash these uh, investor-driven rallies that have happened every couple decades or so. Um, but there's others who have written uh, in response to those videos on our channel, at least, that uh, silver, that J.P. Morgan does not have any long position in silver. And previously, some people had been commenting that they didn't have any, that J.P. Morgan didn't have any short position in silver, that they were just hedging on uh, the parts of some of their clients' uh, accounts. Uh, what do you hear from, from the people that you talk to about whether or not J.P. Morgan truly has or does not have a long position in silver versus a short position in silver? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you really cannot have a conversation about the silver market in today's day and age, a comprehensive discussion without bringing up uh, J.P. Morgan. They're such a big player. You know, if we do believe that that the metal that's on the COMEX or at least J.P. Morgan's registered stock is actually there, I mean, their their hoard of silver represents likely the largest hoard held by one single entity in today's day and age and unless there's some government or individual out there that is you know secretly uh, hoarding uh, even more silver it also represents likely the largest um, hoard that's ever been held by a non-government entity in in u.s history as or, or world history as well um so, so it's a lot of silver and it's it's obviously something to talk about you know currently it sits at upwards of 140 million ounces of registered uh, comex stocks now there will be people and, and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll ruffle some feathers here because I know people get very passionate about whether or not that silver is actually there or is it just paper silver. Um, there, there'll be people that will definitively say that they know that JP Morgan either does or does not have that silver. Um, the, the fact of the matter is that in this space, I'm personally, I'm very doubtful that anybody would have that type of insider knowledge. You know, that's, that's far, far above our pay grade. Um, you know, with that being said, you know, people are, are welcome to hold their opinions. And, and, and look at the evidence and then make some informed decisions based off that. And, and based off the evidence and, and some of my own thoughts on it, you know, I happen to think that yes, JP Morgan, they do have that silver. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence, you know, that JP Morgan opened up their, their COMEX vault back in, I think it was 2012, shortly after silver peaked in 2011. And since then they've, they've been stacking the silver like crazy. Um, is it their client silver? Uh, maybe, 
some of it, maybe a lot of it. I don't know. Um, I, there, there's also been it's also been suggested that that uh, J.P. Morgan has a massive off-balance hoard of silver. Some people mm-hmm. say upwards of, of 500 million ounces. I've heard quoted. Again, we don't know. It very well could be there. Now, d- does J.P. Morgan play into this manipulation? Um, I think that's the next question we have to ask. And and I think the answer to that is yes. You know, if you have a lot of physical silver on the COMEX, you, you can use that significantly to to manipulate the the futures, manipulate it through through different um, through different means. And and yes, I think J.P. Morgan's done that. Now, where I think people miss out on this a lot is that J.P. Morgan, for a long time, have not only you know from time to time I think squashed the price of silver. You know them, them, and other bullion banks. You, you see a rally one day, and, and the next it's yeah. down fifty cents. You know that's depressing, and and you know honestly that type of manipulation, it affects investors a lot. You know if you see an asset that just cannot seem to break out, it's you know it's a mental game. I, I'm going to get out of that. I'm going to go into the stocks because they're up ten percent this year, twenty percent. You know, dep- depending on what year we're talking about. Right. So that manipulation, that downward manipulation happens. However, you know I brought this term up earlier, suppression of volatility. I, I tend to think that JP Morgan, even though the, the price in, in the first half of 2018, especially before this huge drop, even though the price was mostly sideways, I think JP Morgan made quite a bit of money off that. Not not a ton, you know, not not life or you know, corporation changing amounts of money, but but they made money off of that through management of volatility in the markets, meaning that they used call options. They, mm-hmm. they, um, they, they, they used, uh, they mostly, I think they sold volatility to, to traders, either traders that were betting on it going up or down and they made money off that because, you know, if, if they're going to sell volatility and then they also control the price and make sure that it doesn't leave that trading range, which at right. the time was between, you know, 16 and 17, then they can make a lot of money off that. And, and, you know, this is not a new strategy. I mean, plenty of different traders do this in the stock market, uh, or, or, or even pensions I've seen lately have, have been using options to, you know, sell volatility. Uh, it's it's risky, but but you know, if you have complete control of a market, especially something like the silver market, you can make a lot of money off that. Now, um, you know, I should add though, you know, uh, along the lines of what Ted Butler is saying, things have changed. Volatility in the silver market is is markedly higher than what it was for most of the first half of 2018. And you know that that does raise a question. You know, have things changed in the silver market? Um, I don't know. You know, I can't speak to it maybe with as much insight as Ted Butler. Just, just being honest with you. Maybe he has some other knowledge here. Um, and, and you know, certainly if you look at maybe some of the commitment of traders reports, they would suggest that that bullion banks or, or commercials are actually going long precious metals or going long silver at least. Um, yeah, that possibility exists. And I don't know. It's hard to say. You know, if if that is true, you know, these next six months. 12 months, heck, even three years. I mean, these bull markets can last a while. It can be huge because, you know, yes, that the long position that, that J.P. Morgan has in silver, I think they've had it for a long time. Their long position is physical silver. I mean, it's, it's no different than if you went and bought 100 shares of a stock. You now have a long position in that that stock. So so forget these, these uh, you know, if they're, they're going long or short through options or something like that. They have a long position in, in the metal in the first place. So... You know, we, we could, you know, if that's the case, then yeah, silver's heading much, much higher over the next year or two. And, and JP Morgan's going to profit a ton off that, uh, like it or not. Um, but but I don't know. I, I tend to be, I tend to be a, a bit of a wait and see guy in, in terms of that. I, I know that they do have a massive long position. I know that 
it's unlikely they would accumulate this much silver for no reason and then just slowly sell it off. That, that just doesn't make sense to me, especially if they're selling it off uh, over the next couple of years in an environment in which we're, we're likely to see a lot of, of paper assets uh, decline in value a lot. You know, a lot of people rush into to safe haven assets, including physical, um, whether it's whether it's commodities or, or silver and gold specifically. Uh, that doesn't make a whole lot of, of sense to me. So so I think uh, JP Morgan stands to, to benefit a, a lot from from a rise in the price of silver. It's just it's just all a timing game. And and for me, you know, if it happens, you know, in the second half of 2018, if it happens 2019, 2020, it doesn't make a huge difference to me because because I can I can still buy it cheap. My viewers can still buy it cheap. And and I know that, you know, if JP Morgan is is has a vested interest in silver going up, then it's likely to go up eventually. And, and I, well, I have a vested interest in that as well. So, you know, I, I, I wish I could be a cheerleader for metals right now, but over the short term, I can't just because, just because it's, it's going to maybe take a bit to recover from this. But, but long term, I, I think the fundamentals are, are as solid as ever. And, and, you know, the price is even cheaper than where it was a month ago, three months ago, six months ago. So, um, again, personally, I see this as buying opportunity, you know, make, make these decisions for yourselves, obviously. But, but, uh, as, as for JP Morgan, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say, but, but obviously they, they do have kind of the mother of all long positions in their, in their physical hoard. When you mentioned just recently here, uh, the lower price recently than, uh, than several months ago, you posted a video last week about silver all-time inflation adjusted low. We talk a lot about the, the spot price of silver and its history, but almost never do people talk about that in terms of inflation adjusted numbers. So could you zoom in on that for us? Because it seems incredibly important when you're talking about something real and you're comparing it to something that's, that's a sliding scale. Yeah, you know, fair disclaimer here, talking about in inflation adjusted lows, you know, this idea, actually, I, I, if I remember right, it, it was brought up by um, Andy Hoffman, who is, uh, as far as being a, a, a precious metals enthusiast, seems to be no longer with us. And he's kind of moved on to the realm of cryptocurrencies. And, and maybe you're aware, right. aware of all that. But, you know, it's a term that he used um, accurately, maybe, maybe not. But but it definitely appears that that where silver is right now in the fourteen dollar range would be the would be the the inflation adjusted low. I, you know I made that video and, and I had some viewers say, hey, here's a chart from I think it was Macro Trends, which is you know if you if you type in, you know silver price history on on, on Google, that's gonna be one of the top results. And then it has an inflation adjusted option. You know if you look at that, it's gonna show you that that in the past there's been lower inflation adjusted uh, prices for silver, either in the bottom at the end of two thousand fifteen beginning in 2016 or early 2000s, early 1990s, or even way back, you know, before uh, we, we uh, had silver removed from our currency, all of those times, sure. Um, but, you know, those are also using official government data for, for inflation. And I, I'm highly skeptical of, of inflation uh, data from the U.S. government. You know, I... I don't know. I don't think any of us can truly put a number on it, just because it's 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 a difficult thing to to compile. I think, but you know, I do subscribe to kind of the school of thought that that's kind of been pushed forward by by John Williams of his website, ShadowStats.com. Highly recommend it to to um, to to all of our viewers to to check it out for themselves. But but it just basically provides an alternative look at government data, not not using some imaginary formulas or anything like that to, to calculate things like real G, or real GDP or, or real inflation in this case. Uh, in the case of inflation, it just uses methodology that the, that the U.S. government had used in the past. 
And and since then they've tweaked that methodology, and I think they've tweaked it to make it appear as though inflation's actually lower than what it is. And you know, I've heard this from a lot of of my viewers. You know, um, I, I think I had a guy comment today. He says, you know, my in the last five years, my wages haven't really gone up, but my cost of living has. Right? You might not see it in in things like uh, cell phones. You know, as long as I've been a cell phone buying American or at least smartphone buying, you know, they've been in the same range, and that's because technology gets cheaper sure it can be deflationary because because it's easier to make and stuff like that but look at the cost of healthcare. look at the cost of of tuition from college absolutely um even food you know it it sneaks up Mm -hmm. on you but but those things rise i think a lot more than the u.s government is is ever willing to admit um because people don't like high inflation they're willing to accept unfortunately but they're willing to accept one percent two percent three percent on a year-over-year basis but five percent Six percent, you know, that's a little bit too much. But but you know, that's that's the kind of the numbers that I use to calculate that all time inflation adjusted low for silver. Um, it's 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 quite a bit lower than than what it would have been back in uh, two thousand fifteen. And and you know, I, sure, maybe you could find some time throughout human history that that it was lower than what it is right now. But but kind of the point of that was that it's cheap now, and and inflation continues to to uh, uh, you know, if you look at just the numbers for these lows. It's not as low as it was back in 2015, but if you look at you know after a year and a half inflation, uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty darn cheap right now. Yeah, I want to corroborate uh, what you're just describing. If people want to check out, there's a there's another article by Jeff Clark at GoldSilver.com that talks about inflation-adjusted silver prices based on not. And you mentioned how the government manipulated statistics will artificially um, under-report the cost the, the consumer price index. Um, but using the 1980 consumer price index formula and using that consistently uh, from years 1970 to 2017, uh, and from shadowstats.com shows a chart where we are at the lowest uh, silver price uh, near all-time lows using the 1980 CPI. And Jeff Clark makes a point when I wouldn't have interviewed him that it isn't fair when the government keeps swapping out uh, different categories of things they, they do include or exclude from the CPI, and it seems like the things that really hit most people's uh, real lives, like, like you mentioned, food and healthcare, the things that are just like at the bottom of your Maslow's hierarchy of you've got to have these things, um, are, are astronomically increasing year over year. So the real impact to people, the people are experiencing in their lives of, of decreased buying power um, is is no longer the measure that the government prefers to use when reporting official, uh, you know, inflation, consumer inflation. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, it's, it's crazy because, you know, if you went to to analysts or, or traders that are knowledgeable on the subject of, of Chinese economics, okay, and if you ask them, you know, in the modern day, does China manipulate their their economic data? They would say, yeah. I mean, we have to we have to pretty much guess as to what the real numbers are because we we almost have to account for them manipulating GDP higher or, or manipulating it here and there. And, and you know, it's it's widely documented that China does it, whether it's it's at the higher level or it's at the um, at the uh, city or or, or uh, district or province level. But it happens a ton in China. And yet, you ask those same traders or or, or a lot of mainstream analysts. You know, would the U.S. government ever do that? No. You know, that's that's a conspiracy theory. There's no way that the Bureau of Labor Statistics would manipulate something like unemployment, right? There's no way that that um, the government would ever manipulate something like inflation data. Uh, but but the motive is absolutely there. And and more often than not, the motive is not necessarily a partisan motive either, right? Republicans, Democrats, I think they've both done it, right? Their their administrations, their 
there um <laughs> and not to get too political here but but this is almost an apolitical thing is what i'm saying that it's it's not a party thing it's it's a uh it's a bigger government type thing you know if if, if both parties and and the fed can keep you convinced that gdp is high or positive at least and that unemployment's low inflation's low then you don't have to worry about it but but I think we should at least question, you know, the legitimacy of that data, I mean, especially when you're talking about how much they've changed the methodology throughout the years. Well, Matt, we've been asking you questions that we had prepared, um, but we haven't given you a chance to uh, propose any uh, specific topic that's at your top of mind these days uh, for our viewers, since this is their first chance to meet you. So you have the floor here. Uh, is there anything that you'd like our, our viewers to look into further so that they can increase their awareness? Because our tagline is helping you be aware and prepared. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think, you know, being prepared all around is important. I, I got into silver and gold in the first place, uh, not just because of prepping, but because of a greater awareness about politics, about about economics and all of that. And, and mentally, being mentally prepared is perhaps one of the greatest assets you can have. You know, I, I talk about a lot of my channel. It's it's hardly just silver and gold. I, I I don't cover politics a ton. Okay, that's that's one topic that I try and stay away from somewhat. But but things like uh, uh, economics, and 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 kind of world markets and all of that, I covered a ton. You know, the big one that I would would pick out to to be aware of, you know, for the remainder of the year, is the ongoing U.S. debt crisis. Now. When I say that, I'm, I'm being somewhat facetious because the U.S. is not undergoing a debt crisis right now, at least on the surface. The, the U.S. government's likely not going to default on their debt this year. States, cities, yeah, it's not an issue, right? Um, but what I'm talking about is, is the effects, the real-world effects that we're seeing right now around the world because of massive amounts of uh, debt issuance. Basically, U.S. government selling bonds, okay? Sure. A, a huge amount of supply coming onto the market thus far in 2018 part of this is trump tax cuts there's and, and always you know ever increasing expenses for the u.s government the other piece of this is the fed and their ongoing quantitative tightening program meaning that they're buying fewer and fewer bonds so so the end result of this is is a lot of bonds that are on the market that had buyers before or, or they just weren't there before um that now need buyers and and then of course the u.s government accepts u.s dollars as as currency for for these bonds and so um, what this has caused is basically a U.S. dollar shortage. No, not literally. It's, it's not like you can't get dollars from the bank or anything. That's not what I'm saying. But for emerging markets, this is a very real issue. That's what I say. It's, it's, it's a U.S. debt crisis. Um, what's going on in Turkey right now, Argentina, Brazil, South Africa, which what I think you soon will see in places like um, potentially Mexico, India, uh, the Philippines, uh, it's already going on in Pakistan, Poland, you know, a lot of these emerging markets, uh, they depend on U.S. dollars for funding. Sometimes euros, sometimes pounds and, and, and yuan and other currencies, but a lot of them depend on a lot of U.S. dollars for funding. And so if there's fewer U.S. dollars to go around because U.S. government is, is soaking up so much dollars with its debt, again, debt crisis, well, rates go up. And, and more often than not, the dollar goes up versus these, these smaller emerging market currencies. They have a crisis. And, and so, you know, that's what I would say is, is to pay attention to for, for the remainder of this year. What's going on in these emerging market currencies and, and their economies? Um, how quickly will it spread to other emerging markets? Because eventually I think it's going to be kind of a rush to the exit that, that um, essentially there's going to be a lot of capital that is invested 
in these emerging markets or even consumers in, in some of these countries that want to get out of their native currency because they see Turkey's currency falling or Brazil's currency falling. They want to get into the U.S. dollar. All right. So now there's an even greater shortage in the U.S. dollar. Well, eventually, I think this contagion is going to spread beyond emerging markets. It's going to spread to to uh, countries like like those in the European Union, um, to to China, Australia, Japan, South Korea, Canada, and of course, ultimately, the United States, more developed economies, if you will. Um, so so watch for that. You know, I, I've I've made I've been making the prediction for a while now that, you know, if, if, if any of you guys are out there into to monetary policy, and you follow what the Fed has been doing. They've been tightening their monetary policy for a while now. Um, we're, we're coming up on a year now that they've been doing this quantitative tightening program, i.e. Uh, unwinding their balance sheet. Uh, my, my prediction is that by the end of this year, something's got to give either either a contagion crisis from abroad or something internal here in the United States that will cause the Fed to pause, take a pause and, and, and slow down here for a second and think maybe we shouldn't continue on this tightening path. I, I think they're going to be cutting this quantitative tightening program pretty soon here or or uh, reversing it altogether and, and start quantitative easing. I think something's got to give by the end of the year uh, because because their current path is, you know what, we're not feeling it here. Stock traders here in the United States are not feeling it. But so many countries around the world are, and and the U.S. economy. I mean, U.S. markets, they might experience some benefit from that over the short term because of, of inflows into U.S. stocks, bonds, and and U.S. dollar. But long term, we we can't survive without a a truly global uh, economy that that is growing, and and we're just not having that right now. You no, know, in many ways, we're on, we're on the cusp of a global recession. It just might be that the United States kind of gets that memo last, right? I mean, they, they they check their email. Um, after everybody else does. So uh, that, that would be something I would pay attention to over the next uh, you know six months or, or the end of the year. What's happening in emerging markets and what is the Fed doing? Are they going to uh, stop their current, current tightening policy or potentially reverse it? Your sentiment about the Fed's actions is echoed by uh, Gregory Manorino, who talks about any uh, potential collapse or major upset to the markets is going to start in the bond market and watch that uh, 10-year Treasury uh interest rate, watch how they defend it by purchasing up the bonds, uh, and uh, that will be the first sim symptom within this country at least, but you're saying you, you can already see the symptoms by looking overseas to the emerging markets like Turkey, Brazil, etc. So uh, thank you for that reminder to keep our eyes on, the, on that horizon. Uh, everyone, we've been talking with Matt from Silver Fortune for this very first time. Matt, it's been a delight. Thank you for joining us uh, at the request of one of our viewers who suggested you, and I'm glad he did, here on Reluctant Preppers. Thank you, truly. Thank you for having me on this evening.